you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 973. It is time for events of the corkboard. These are things, events, things that you made, stuff you want to promote, people you want to celebrate. Just send it on over to events at ID10T.com and uh, I'll do my best to get to it. Like now, Jesse writes, my two sons and I create children's books slash animated videos. Two new children's books slash videos up are... Farts Have Feelings too about farts and being nice. And Super Artie, Super Artie Helps a Friend with a Bully. Uh, three of the stories are read by my sons. One is read by comedian Brian Scalero. Visit heresartie.xyz or at heresartie on Facebook and Twitter. Also, I just want to say, side note, finally, someone tackling the fart issue. You know, full transparency on farts. Yes, physically they're transparent. But emotionally, what's going on in there? How complex are they? What makes them tick? Uh, I'm so glad. <laughs> I actually really want to hear that. I want to hear about farts having feelings. You know, maybe that's why some of them, sometimes, sometimes when they leak out, they just sound like, aww. So maybe that's, they're just expressing empathy or they're feeling things that we just don't know. They're more than just the constituent elements that form the gaseous nature uh, in our stomachs that then force them out to go out on their own. I am really talking a long time about this. Uh, next, Dan writes, that's the, <laughs> that's the segue you get, Dan. I'm so sorry. Dan writes, I'd like to promote my girlfriend, Crystal Sewing. Oh, that's very sweet. Visit Taco Puppy Productions on Instagram to see her work or message her. Her primary focus is Bakken bags, uh, which I believe are like, uh, um, you know, the, the, like the wooden practice swords. Like if you don't have a real katana, but you have like a practice, like a wooden practice sword that you you slide into a um, a bag, a case. I believe that's a Bakken bag. If I got that wrong, I apologize. But she makes those, and she can also custom sew anything else, like blankets or bags. So visit Taco Puppy Productions. Again, events at id10t.com. This episode is Lily Allen, who I am such a massive fan of her music. Um, and, uh, you know, I was trying not to, I was trying not to be too much of a fan, uh, with her here because I have to say she was not only so incredibly cool, but also really funny and, 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 and very insightful, uh, and, and has an incredible story, um, which she talks a little bit about on the podcast, but is in her book, which you should buy. It's called My Thoughts Exactly. Uh, it is available wherever books are sold. And also, um, she has a phenomenal album out called No Shame, which came out this year in 2018. And if you ever get the chance to see her live, you absolutely should. Um, her tour dates are up at lilyallenmusic.com. But again, just she was such a joy to talk to. And, um, and it, was a, it was a real honor to have you know someone, a musician that I'm a huge fan of, just come over and uh, hang out at my house and talk about stuff. So um, I'm going to stop talking now and present to you the ID10T podcast number 973 with the amazing Lily Allen. Initiating ID10T protocol.
Oh my god, I just moved a chair and I feel like that was the week's cardio. Is that your exercise That done? was it. Yeah. Is that okay? <laughs> oh boy, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to stretch after that one. That's like when I go on stage, if there's like steps up to the stage, I'm always like, I can't catch my breath in time for the first line of the song. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where you have to have like one of those really crazy writers where, where it's like performer must have an automated oh lift. Oh my and- gosh. Do you know that actually Beck I heard had on his rider that um, he wouldn't go upstairs. So they had to ramp the st- all the stairs. How much of that? Do you, do you know what your rider says? Or is it just... Oh, my rider is really um, basic. It's literally just... Uh, it, it doesn't even... It, it's, it only even really works in England because the only two things that are on it are Monster Munch, which are some crisps, and what's it, which you can only get in England. So and that's it. It's pretty pointless. <laughs> yeah. But I think, like, I mean, that's the only things that I, request, I requested. Like, things do sort of, like, make their way into the dressing room that I'm, I haven't necessarily asked for. But. Have you ever showed up to a show and they go, we're so sorry we didn't get you blank. And you're like, I never asked for that. And they're like, but it's in your writer. Although on my first album, I thought I was being really clever. I put on my um, writer five copies of my own album and a receipt. <laughs> <laughs> Every show. Proof of purchase. Did they do it? <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Because also it's really handy because then I could like pre-sign stuff and then give it to fans on the way out, you know. So and you still get cool. the credit for the album sales. Exactly. That's fantastic. But that's the main reason. <laughs> that's fantastic. God damn it, that's genius. Thanks. But, <laughs> and they never questioned it? They just did it? Mm, yeah, so it's on the rider. Oh, that's fantastic. But that, that first album too was so huge. Yeah. It's almost like... Didn't need it then. Now I do. I'm going to put it back on. <laughs> you gotta, you're like, I, I guarantee you any other musicians who just heard it like, fuck, why have we not been doing that this entire time? Do you tour like pretty nonstop or do you take... Because I know there are pretty big breaks in between albums. Yeah. Um, I mean, I t- I'm, a, I'm a bit of a sort of like anomaly in the sense that um, you know, I'm, I'm a mother with two small children, which doesn't necessarily is not really big in the pop world. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, I, I have to break it up because I've got to be able to get back to them. Yeah, because they're at school. They can't. Um, they can't come with. They can't come on the tour. Have they been on tour with you ever? Yeah, they did on the last one, the last American tour, because they were both small enough and they weren't at school yet. So that, yeah, we had like a family bus. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's really nice. Do you like? Do you like the tour bus? Um, they were really boring drinking partners, though. You know, <laughs> the after show was not lit. Um, <laughs> you're, just, you're just playing quarters with milk. It's like bam. Okay, take another. Shout of the milk, I guess. Oh, uh, yeah, it's coming out your nose. This guy's had enough. This guy's put him to bed. Exactly. Put him to bed. <laughs> I, did a, I did a bus tour once, just like a bus comedy tour. My, my wife and I went. I was like, oh, man, this is going to be so much fun. And it just, we don't drink and we're not like party right. people. And it, the whole time we just couldn't sleep. Yeah. Like that, that's really all it was. Are you, did you do a bus tour for this, this um, the part of the American tour? Yeah, my, the whole thing's on a bus, yeah. Oh, wow. And you performed Five that. and a half weeks. On a bus. How do you, by the end of it, are you ready to be done or do you feel like... Oh my gosh. By the end of the tour, like everyone, everyone on the tour has lost their mind by by week five, like for sure. In fact, a lot of people, crew and stuff, especially like, you know, like older guys that, you know, sort of married and with kids back home, like their wives will say you go somewhere else for a few days to decompress on your own oh, because wow. you, like it's such a weird environment like because you become like it's like you're coping you know like it's weird circumstances right. to live under it's like you know you don't see a kitchen right for five weeks you know and every your scenery changes every single day yeah you know you get up in the morning you want a nice coffee it's like you gotta go go out and find one you know you can't it's and and you're not you're in a town that you don't know so it's like right that's what i tend to do i get into bed after a show and i like go on um you know like food review websites or whatever for the next city and then i like mark out all the places i'm gonna go and try and get food the next day yeah and it's like you know especially sometimes you go to towns that have like particularly arty crowds and i'll go i'm gonna go to starbucks they'll go starbucks (laughs) you know there's a lot of really good coffee that's looking i go yeah don't you know like starbucks is the constant that i have like when i tour i know what it is every single time you know like i don't do you have a constant is there anything that you have that is exactly the same 
Um, hmm. No, I don't. No, I don't think there is. No. And that doesn't bother you. I just feel like no, I it need- does bother me oh. because I'm a real, I'm really like a, ho- I'm a ho- home person. You know, it's, I've chosen a really dumb job because um, I have to spend so much time away from home, and I really, you know, I love like interiors, and I spend a lot of time like making my house a really pleasant place to be. Um, so yeah, when I when I you know I'm planning a tour like this one, which is you know five and a half six weeks long. Like, for a good, like, a week and a half, I'm, like, packing, like, crit, like just checklists of things that I need to, like, make myself feel like I'm okay. That everything's okay? Yeah. Just, like, you know, dumb shit, like scented candles and, you know, just nice towels. and. I swear I used to scoff at that stuff. I'd walk by a candle store. I'm like, oh, they're fucking candle. And I, I'd, sometimes I'll be on the road and I'm like, I just, I'll just leave it in the hotel room, but I yeah. just need like a nice, yeah. I just need like a really nice aromatherapy a little, smell. A little glow. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, <laughs> just to center. Cause there are, you know, listen, there are some places and you know, I, I think there's nice things about all towns, but you know, there's sometimes it's like the, the hotel has a smell to it. Yeah. That's that. There's also like weird places, you know, some places, especially in like the Southern States and stuff, like you'll get out at Walmart you know, with the look to, you know, buying some vegetables or something. And it's way easier to find a a semi-automatic weapon than it is like a banana, um, which I find quite odd. (laughs) Yep, this is America. You're in America. You're American now. You're American now. (laughs) Come on, Lily Allen, you're in America. (laughs) You just load the gun up with pearls of onions and you shoot them into the soup. That's how Americans eat. <laughs> I mean, is it? Do do you find that the crowds here are? I, I'm actually curious because I know you performed in Los Angeles. You performed in the L.A. last night. Yeah, the fun day. Yeah. How do you like the? Are the L.A. crowds for music good, or are they? I always think of L.A. crowds as just being a bunch of other performers who are just watching and going, "Hmm, I could be up there." You know, like are they engaged? Are L.A. crowds engaged? I mean, I I really like coming to LA because it's a challenge. You know, I think it's it's like the entertainment capital of the world. So it's not, you know, people go and watch movies here like they don't do anywhere else. Right. You know? Like it's a thing, you know, and I think it's the same with music and it's the same with art. And it's like, it's hard to impress LA people because that's what they do. Well, or, or at least it's that fake that they're not impressed. Like the shields go up a little bit, or they all work in the business, or they, yeah, or I it's not. I think there's so many different like variables for, for a show to be good. You know, like for what day of the week it is, for instance, is a big one. Like, right. You know, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays tend to be the better the better nights. But last night was amazing. I had a really good, everyone said that it was, was a Monday, one of the best yeah. shows that I've done in a long time. So and that was a Monday. Do you feel? Like, do you have a certain checklist in your head for a show where you go, oh, that was a great show? Or can a sh- can a, can the crowd be great, but you just didn't feel great about it? Or can it be the opposite? I, I, I often don't know, like, whether a show has been good or not. Like, I, like, last night I came off and everyone was like, oh, my God, that was amazing. <laughs> and I was like, uh, cool, thanks. You know, <laughs> like, I, I, cause, because I have these, like, in-ear monitors in, so I don't right. really hear the crowd that much. Um, and I guess I don't really, you know, the lights are shining on me. They're not shining on them. So I don't really see them. You right. know? So sometimes it's really difficult for me to gauge what, what, how, how things are going down. So you Festivals don't... are different because festivals, you know, you're playing outside. Right. And so you can see everything. And that's like when people start to walk away. <laughs> It's literally the worst thing in the world. No, no, come back. Come back. You're like, I think this crowd is moving. smaller than it was 10 minutes ago <laughs> well that's a, especially some of the like the mega festivals now where there's you know 10 things to do at any one given time no i think it's usually just because i play a bunch of songs that no one's ever heard before and they're really slow <laughs> but i love your music so much i i think a lot of your stuff is actually pretty upbeat but the lyrics are so fu- it's there's this there's this real kind of like gritty thing just nestled in this blanket of of butterflies yeah. <laughs> and i fucking love it and i honestly think not to gush too much but i kind of think your cover of somewhere only we know is i think i like it better than the original really? 
really? I really do. That's interesting. And I'm a big Keen fan, but I... I, They're like my favorite band of all time. I really love, I really love your cover. Did you know them? Yeah, I did. I mean, I, when I say I'm the biggest, key, like, they're one of my favorite bands, like, because the Keen are kind of like quite uncool in England, you know, people like if you're a Keen fan, you're a bit of a, you know, a dweeb. <laughs> um, so, but I just think that they're like, well, Tim, particularly, who, you know, writes all of their songs is um, a, a genius, you know, he's like, almost like ABBA-like, I think, in his chord progressions and stuff. Yeah. He's, re- he's really amazing. I think... The- I actually like that there's such an unironic sincerity behind yeah. their music that there's no, I mean, I don't know. If you met Tim, like he, he is literally like the most hopeless man on earth. Like he's, he's so, he, he's so self-deprecating, but he, he, he also gets himself into these just like awful situations oh, no. the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> He'll tell you these stories and you're just like, oh, Tim. <laughs> But maybe that's necessary to write the songs <laughs> exactly. about those situations. Exactly. exactly. Do you think a performer has to be tortured to be a, a real artist, or do you think that's a, that's a myth, or is it just a coincidence that a lot of artists are can be tend towards tortured souls? Uh, I think that you know a lot of artists are narcissists and they love attention. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when th- when you're not getting the attention that you want and require, then things um, can go downhill pretty quickly. Right. Know? So, yeah, I, mean, I think I think it does. I think it helps. You know, the re- rejection helps for creativity for sure. For me, anyway. I mean, we were sort of talking about that a little bit before the podcast, but just sort of about we were talking about MySpace, right? And it. But that's just our, that you know, like that type of me, me, me thing is just our culture now. We were yeah. talking about like you said, oh yeah, I started when my when I started MySpace was a thing. Yeah. Did you have a big MySpace page? Oh my gosh, I was the queen of MySpace. <laughs> who was who was in your top eight? That. Funny, you should mention this. And before the any of these people were signed, they were in my top eight. Adele. Oh my god. Florence and the Machine. Holy shit. Ellie Goulding. Oh my god. I know. I mean, I was, I pretty much like discovered them bitches. <laughs> um, no. You should put together an album called Top 8 and yeah. you just do covers of all your friends. Sometimes I feel like I wish that my webs, like my landing page on my actual website just came up as my old MySpace page, like with the HTML code. That Why don't you do that? I think I'm going to do it actually. I'm going to get someone to do it. That would be fantastic. I'll tell you what, th- I'm just kicking an idea around here. But a really fun thing to do would be like some sort of a fan contest to yeah. be in your top eight. Yes. And then you could just sort of rotate, you know, like when you yeah. go to different towns, like people who are in your top eight that are yeah. fans. And then they fans. can come to the meet and greets. They can come to all the, the meet and Do you do meet and greets? For $1,000 each. No. <laughs> <laughs> how, much, how much do you really want to be in Lily's top eight? <laughs> Ten, 10K. PayPal. No. Um, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do the MySpace page. Are you still pretty? Are you still pretty? Are you pretty active on social media now? I am. It's fun- actually this MySpace thing conversation is funny because this girl that I work with called Cora, who's like she's 25, she does all my like inst- you know takes pictures and stuff for me for Instagram, and um, she's really in- into it. You know, like she loves that whole platform. And I was with my manager yesterday and her and we were, you know, talking about Instagram and we we were like s- saying to her that like there is an inevitability that, you know, it's not going to be there forever. Like my like with MySpace, right. you know, like the world evolves and we'll move on. And just the, the look of like panic on her face was just like, what do you <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? And I was like, you know, it's, it's going to be not relevant one day. Yeah. I mean, know? everything's like, temporary. <laughs> yeah, everything's temporary. And she was just like, what, what, what am I going to do with my life? Like, <laughs> It almost sounds like she took that harder than if you said to her, like, well, you know, someday we're all going to die. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I get totally. that. Someday Instagram's not going to be here. What? <laughs> what, what, what do you fucking, what do you mean? This is exactly the face that she had on. I was like, Cora. <laughs> well, those, those early days when MySpace, it was like, there was one. There was one for like a second. I think called My Tribe. Right. And then My Tribe, like people were on it for a second. 
but for a half a second to get to Friendster. And then everyone bailed on Friendster pretty fast because MySpace had like an integrated yeah. player in it. And so all the performers, the musicians were like, oh, my God. And it was sort of that first, I guess, time outside like an email list where bands could really be connected directly to their fans. Yeah. And I think that's why we put Murdoch bought it and ran it into the ground, actually. <laughs> Maybe. I really do. I think that, um, you know, uh, culture and, and the arts are the, um, you know, enemy of capitalism and globalization, mm-hmm. really. And if you're a smart business person, then, you know, that's your competition right there is, right. is arts and culture. So, yeah, f- suddenly artists had an opportunity to connect with their, you know, their fans in a way that had never happened before. And Rupert Murdoch did not like that. You know, he, he's, he wants the monopoly on that, you know. That's, right. he, that's what his tabloid newspapers are for, for you to view people in the way that he and his people want you to view them. So, um, yeah, I really believe that he, he brought it and ran into the ground on purpose because he thought it was a danger. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that's certainly very much possible. And I also just think... People are just so mercurial about mm. what that like to to sustain that level of popularity that it had, mm. and then Facebook just came along and started providing all these tools. Mm. And I think it was at a period of time when platforms didn't know, like, oh, we have to like dramatically change everything so often, or people mm. are just going to go away. And MySpace, I, I think the other thing that kind of hurt MySpace was that it just got full of spam and trolls, yeah. and they it was really. Although that works for Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that does seem to be the fuel. I don't know. I honestly just, I, I just have this, I have this hope and a very desperate belief, but I think it's pretty accurate, that the world is not, like there's sort of the digital world and the real world, and I feel like it, the digital world is not actually a representation of what's going on in, in the real world anymore. I think that's true if you have a, got a reference, a, a point of reference to before. Right. I think kids that have grown up with it, that's not the case. I think that they are, that is their reality. Well, I asked a friend of mine, I was like, what do you think? I said, do you think social media is going to be around forever? And he said, no, not in its current form. And I said, why? And he said, because I have an 11 year old and that kid doesn't give a shit mm. about any of it. He just watches like video game playthroughs on YouTube and yeah. that's it. He doesn't care about Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, none of it. And that's like the Gen Z. Mm. So I think the Gen Zs will rebel against the millennials and like not like see their parents obsessed with social media and mm. not be, you know, just like not be that into it. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I hope so. I just My I, daughter actually said to me the other day, she, I was like on my phone, you know, on Twitter or Instagram or something and she said Oh, mommy, you know, can you come and help me with something? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come over there in five minutes, Bob. I'm just, you know, doing some work. And she like looked, was sitting next to me and looked over my phone. She was like, oh yeah, because you've you've got to get people to like you, don't you? <laughs> oh shit! How old is your daughter? Five. <sighs> now, when <you're>, now when <laughs> I was kid, like, when your kid says something yeah. like, chillingly <laughs> insightful, you can't you can't get mad, right? You're like. Uh, go to your, I mean, I'd never get mad anyway, but I was just like, um, basically, yeah. <laughs> so you understand how it works. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here trying to get people to like me. <laughs> you make your own dinner. No. Um. <laughs> Maybe you should try a little harder to get mommy to like you yeah. because comments like that aren't going to fly in this house. Yeah. I mean, it is, but it's, it's also... Uh, but it, it, as a performer, it's so hard to really... Qui- I mean, unless, of course, you have you know, multi-platinum selling albums. But it's very di- it can be very difficult to quantify. Like, how am I doing? Mm. I don't know how I'm doing. And so I guess it's just... The attention factor is just a, is just a metric, a real or fake metric, I don't know, to kind of just give you a sense of where you are. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I find there's so many things that are wrong with it. I think, like, the numbers stuff and the likes is the, is, is the real... Worry and the concern for me is that people people aren't making informed decisions about things that they like anymore. They are waiting to see if other people like things before they will join in and right. and like them. Pack mentality. Yeah, and the and it's, the internet is terrible for that. I think. What, how did you discover music when you were growing up? Um. 
in what capacity like pop music or... yeah like how did you find because now i mean everything's like some recommendation engine like you probably all like this and you're like yeah, yeah i guess yeah, i yeah. kind of do but we did, obviously we didn't have our recommendation engines when when i was growing up was just like a, a dude that i knew you know it's like i didn't yeah i don't know um how did i discover music i mean i i would i listened to stuff on the way to school in the morning on the radio so i mean i guess like that for to, to start with and then um my dad, you know, was sort of like reasonably famous in the UK and used to hang out with lots of musicians. So I knew that, you know, dad's friends would be on the TV sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember going to this program called Top of the Pops to, oh, yeah, to a of recording course. of it and leaving with a bag of like the top 10 singles in, on CD. And that was like my first music that i owned and it was like mike and the mechanics looking back yes shoulder uh. Uh, and cotton eye joe i don't know if you remember, remember that cotton eye joe yes and i think there's two unlimited that uh, no 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 song and um yeah a bunch of other really bad stuff but and desiree I think. oh my god you gotta be brand you gotta be bold you gotta be wiser oh life um <laughs> <laughs> what a collection do you miss those days i mean is it is, it's like when we were growing up it seems like you could just be on one show and then all of a sudden boom career made and now it just feels like you're just chasing audiences into the four corner like the you know 50 corners of the internet to yeah. to reach people would you have would, would you have if it's just are you glad that you're a performer in this era or is there another era that you think like oh, be really- i'm really glad that i managed to capitalize on my space when in that i'm just very happy that i that i started when i did and that it took off from there because i think i got like the golden age of right of of it all and by the time my space was done you you had your audience yeah. by that point yeah uh but I, I just I think about those days when it's like you can make one television appearance in the seventies because seventy percent of the country was watching one thing. Mm. It's like you appear on one thing and then all of a sudden, you know. But it's interesting though because this is the thing, like with the, with data and stuff, is that you know previously, um, you know, before you could put or you know your music up or you know you could see how many plays something has, you know somebody important might have come to a concert and seen you play and be, and be like, I was really affected by that performance. I would like this person to, you know, endorse these sneakers, you know, or whatever right. it is. But they're, now they'll come, they'll, or they won't even come at all. They'll just be like, we need a girl to endorse some sneakers. Who's at the top of the... Char- the charts right. like who's going to give us the most traffic so right. it's not people aren't really making decisions based on the thing right they're making decisions based on the figure the figure which is possibly fake like we don't even know i think it has 100 percent fake <laughs> we don't know any, i don't know i don't know i don't know what or i don't know what to believe anymore i don't believe ed sheeran is as successful as he is <laughs> I think those numbers are fake as hell. No. <laughs> Sorry. Celebrity feud. No, I'm joking. I'm being facetious. But I do... Um, no, I think that these things are definitely manipulated for sure. And do- and also, you don't... It doesn't like... You know, the guy that owns Warner Brothers is this guy called Lem Blavatnik, right? Uh-huh. And Warners have like, I think, a 53% like market share of, uh-huh. of music worldwide. He's also one of the biggest donors to the GOP. Mm-hmm. He's like, um, just they've just named the um, Oxford University School of Government after him. He just like donated 150 million quid to them. They've just named the new wing at the Tate Gallery after him. So he's buying up like politics and culture. And, you know, when people talk about like marketing, digital marketing budgets and stuff, what's to say that he isn't just, like paying for it off the books to be done somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? Like right. sort of like troll troll farms, but the opposite, boosting things. Right. Um, because I don't... Where we are politically at the moment, where are the clash and the sex pistols? And where's, this, where's the resistance? It's like it's not there. 
And I find that really, really bizarre, considering where we are. I wonder if it's just that there are two, because that's a really interesting point. And I think about that a lot with comedy as well, where it's like, where are the massive comedy? When I was growing up, there was like a comedy album. And I think it's, I honestly think the great thing that the internet has done has a lot, it's given everyone a platform Mm. to get out their, whatever their art is. The downside to that is there's so much noise. Mm. And also everyone can go down such very specific rabbit holes Mm. that they're not actually coming. It's like there aren't large groups of people. Like it's sort of the nicheifying of our culture. Mm. So it's like, you know, this, this band that in 1982 might have had a shit ton more followers. Now they just have like a solid 10,000 followers. And yeah. this other one has 12,000 followers. And this one has 40,000. But they're, but everyone is getting their their very specific tastes met. Yeah. So that they're not all kind of coming together. There's just, there's not... Well, like Trump was, Trump got in, right? Because they fucked with Facebook and shit. Like that's, uh, and that's, you know, how Brexit happened in, in the UK. It was like, it, you know, it was trolls and it was, as we were talking about earlier, this sort of like n- negativity online. And you sort of, I, I think that, um, you know, art and music and is really, really powerful. You know, it's really powerful. People connect to it in a way that they don't connect to other things. And, right. And also, it's very rare to be able to, attract large audiences of people in one place like that in itself is really really powerful right um and so yeah i do think that um you know people with things to say are being messed with digitally because they pose a threat well i think it's i i hope that what happens is that we start making more efforts to interact with people in the real world or go see live events or mm. go, you know, cause it's the allure to just stay at home because you don't have, you don't really need to leave to do anything. Like mm. people br- p- almost deliver food into your fucking mouth mm. and you, you get every, every form of entertainment that you want, every video game, every, everything. But you know, you, and it's so easy to get lazy, but you do go to a really great show and you're like, fuck, why don't I do this all the time? All the time yeah. Like what an incredible experience or just, interact do you do you force yourself to kind of go out and interact with other people in the real world or are you pretty much a homebody Mm, no i'm pretty i'm quite homey i don't really go out but you also have kids too so you probably want to see your kids when you're home yeah there's that but that i just don't i'm actually quite like socially quite, quite awkward i don't really i don't like standing up either very much (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you could just ride a rascal around yeah, around I, I hate going to gigs it's like oh, i just want to sit down <laughs> <laughs> do you have a chair do you sit in a chair for some of your set You're like, I no i don't at all no I've, I'm all, my lower back really hurts when i come off stage because i usually in heels so oh my gosh yes yeah, so it's like an hour and 40 minutes stomping around and then you're just like i'll just deal with it later yeah you put it off until the end of the tour. <laughs> do you get sick when you come home? Do you have like, are you able to put it off? And then like, you do, do you get like a massive cold for like a week when Weirdly, you get off tour? I know I got sick just before. I think that my body like cleanses itself before a tour. I got really ill just before I came out to America. I had to do like the whole an- antibiotics and stuff. But um, yeah, no, I don't know. You just lose your mind by the end of a tour. A long one. What's the longest tour you've been on? Um, I don't know actually, but long before I had kids, you know, twelve weeks, thirteen, oh. you know, a long time. I mean, is it? Do you ever feel like you're a part of a machine that you can't step out of? Yes, or, you do <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so, what do you do in those moments? Um, I don't know really. I mean. I just sort of like take it as it comes, but I try not to, I don't really make plans, you know, I just sort of ride the wave. I'm not really, um, a planner. (laughs) Well, that's good though, because it, I used to think that planning way ahead was a good idea. And then I realized there's just too many things you can't account for. And you spend all this time stressing about things that probably won't happen. And then you're not present Mm. then you're just missing whatever's going on because your brain is is somewhere else 
Yeah, exactly. And also, I just I change my mind all the time, you know. And I just don't really, I don't really like having like solid plans because then you're restricted, aren't you? Yeah. I'm just, and I'm not really that that kind of person, you know. Quite often, like, I don't really like booking holidays, things like that. Like, if I'll just know that I've got some time coming up in a couple of weeks, and then the day before I'll book some flights in a hotel. Like, I don't. What's your perfect holiday? Is it like a, is it a summer vacation? Is it a winter vacation? Is it a, we stay in the hotel or is it like we run around and see sights? Um, I, I really like snorkeling. Mm-hmm. Um, little known fact. Uh, <laughs> I very much enjoy snorkeling. So yeah, I mean, I go to places that have got good water for snorkeling. That's good. Mm-hmm. What's, what is, well, you're not actually well, like to... close to the UK, like Ibiza is really good, mm-hmm. actually. Um, Menorca is really good. Um, but then obviously, you know, Australia and New Zealand are amazing as well. There's lots of sharks in Australia. It's a bit scary. There are sharks there. Well, Australia, like house spiders can kill you. So it's like yeah. you, you really, the Australians are a real, st- they're a real, uh, they're a resilient stock. Hardy. Because everything in Australia can kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I heard New Zealand is the opposite, where yeah. it's like, oh, there's no predators, like it's just, like it's just much calmer there, yeah. you know. I don't know, but I wonder, did, did having kids change your perspective on stuff at all? What stuff? To just the world, just life, like just and and like the import the importance of things in life. Did it change your perspective on like not stressing about things anymore that didn't matter, or I don't know. Yeah. I think it does, you know, a few things. Like, so you, you, your relationship with my own parents completely changed because I suddenly realised what it was like to have to rear humans, you know, um, and the um, things that come with that. And uh, so there was, there was that, you know, I became, like, more sort of forgiving, I guess, in that sense. But then, yeah, I mean... You, it's it completely changes everything because your life is no longer yours, you know. Right. Belongs to these two small people that rely on you. So yeah, it's it's it changes, but it's not it's not sacrificial. Like it's it's um it's great. That's it. good. We're gonna do it, but just not yet. <laughs> okay. But like we're a little ways away. But it's but it's gonna happen. Good. And I'm and I'm excited about it. And I used to kind of think like. Ah, oh, yeah. When there's a kid around, though, and then you're not gonna have your, and it's like, and then I thought about, I don't do anything. Like, what am yeah. I? Like, when I'm home, we just watch stuff on TV. You know, it's like we're not like usually we're doing puzzles. You yeah. know, and you see all the fucking toys around my house. Like, why wouldn't I? People wanna... always say as well, like you know, who kids are expensive, but actually, f- for me, I now don't spend money on like handbags and high heel shoes because I don't go out. Right. So I, they've kind of saved me money. <laughs> In that sense, <laughs> because that's where all my money went before was like you know getting lit and like getting dressed up and you know makeup and getting my hair done and you know basically like going going out to sort of socialize and everything that came with that and now I have kids so I don't do any of that. So. That I've never heard that before and it makes perfect sense. But I've never heard anyone say the thing about kids is that they're so economical. <laughs> <laughs> you save so much money <laughs> with kids. Get a couple, two or three. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Do either of them have like a performer gene that you can detect? Uh, yes, both of them do, but in diff- very different ways. Um, yeah, Marnie, my youngest, is like incredibly funny. Com- her comic timing is very strange and advanced for such a small child. Um and the other one, Ethel, likes, um, you know, she's sort of like more, like, likes dancing and singing and, you know, sort of that kind of stuff. So one might be a comedian? Potentially. Although she's, she thinks that, she, well, she says that she's going to be an engineer and build me an airplane. That's bit, That could be a joke. But is it for real? It's for real. Oh, my God. She absolutely should build you an airplane. Yeah. So you don't have to go, yeah, get mommy an airplane, make mommy an airplane. I'll drive it, mommy. <laughs> I'll make it and drive it. Okay, babe. <laughs> I think it's funny to hear that, not funny, but it's just interesting because I relate to you in the sense of like feeling socially awkward. Mm-hmm. Like when I go out and I, I, 
just going to an event. I never know what to say exactly, and I feel out of place. And I wonder, does everyone feel out of place? And I'm just – am I just like everyone else? Like, do, is, is our common bond that everyone feels out of place or is that specific to just a small group of people? I don't know. I mean, I've – no, I don't think – I don't think everyone feels like that because I know lots of people that are completely not like that. But I've – I have I feel it. I, I Also, I think that it's – it's a bit, I have a bit of a unique, you know, life and that, you know, where I come from, we're in the UK, pretty much everyone knows who I am. So I walk into a room and everyone already has a sort of preconceived idea about, of who, who I am and right. what I'm about. And that's the thing that I struggle with is like, I automatically feel like I have to sort of like not defend myself, but like prove to people that I'm not the person that they think I am. Right. So... And, I, and that's kind of like a really boring task. So I just rather not go out. That, that, well, that does make sense, though, because you, you don't. I mean, it to walk into a room full of people and have a sense. And and just because you're an individual being, you would want to say, like, whatever you think about me is probably not who I am. Mm. I am this. And I just don't have the energy to go around a room of 300 people and go, hey, I, I'm Lily. Here's who I really am. Yeah. And here's what I like. And yeah. I like snorkeling. Yeah. You know, it's like, what are you? <laughs> I make great omelets. Killer omelets. No. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I just don't think... I, I wonder if if more people actually do feel that way inside. And and obviously it's different if, you know, it's like if people are drinking or they're, you know, like they, mm-hmm. they loosen up or lubricate or whatever. But I just... It's so... Like to walk into a giant room full of people and just go, yeah, everyone probably feels totally comfortable here. That seems so foreign to me because mm. it just, I don't know. Like, what are you, what are you supposed to say to someone in passing when you know your conversation's going to be fifteen seconds long, mm. but you, it's long enough that you have to say something, yeah, but not, but you can't go too in depth, mm. or that's weird. This is making me feel awkward even just talking about it. <laughs> Shut your eyes. <laughs> Just You're stop. snorkeling Just in Ibiza. Stop. You're snorkeling in Ibiza. <laughs> Ibiza. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I honestly, and that's the thing that the internet was supposed to do was supposed to unite people, and yet here I feel like it isolates people yeah, even further. Totally, it isolate, isolates people, and also phones are like, you know, you, I see people, and I do it myself. You know, when I walk into a room and I feel socially awkward, I pull my phone out. Just because it gives you something to do. Yeah, it makes me look, makes it look. It's like a good defense mechanism. It's like, don't talk to me. I'm busy. <laughs> and if someone comes up to you and you just your your phone just goes up in front of your face. Eh, I'm busy. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing on your phone most of the time? Do you are you playing? Are there at what? What are you are you playing games? No, I've I've I um you know like f- respond to mess d- you know DMs from. F- fans and stuff and i get a lot of them so I'm that's nice constantly responding to people that's really nice do you feel a particular um do you feel a responsibility that you have to be the one to do it because some people are like oh they'll have assistance or they'll have people like answer yeah, that's just them. lying isn't it it like, is it is lying yeah, i'm not a good liar <laughs> are you are you good at i mean when people are messaging you are they just saying like, "Oh, I love your music"? Or are they saying like, "Hey, I feel awkward too"? I mean, like, are you are you kind of like helping all people? Di- all all different kinds of things. I mean, I you know I just wrote this book, um, and you know I talk about I had a you know a, a stalker who broke into my house, and it was you know really a horrible experience. It lasted you know seven years, but I mean not him being in the house, obviously. But um, and uh, you know I w- wrote this really. Um, you know, whole chapter in my book that I've just, you know, put out is about this incident. And um, I got, you know, I got a message from a detective, a female detective in the UK who was like, you know, I just read your book and it's made me really think about the way that I'm going to, you know, deal with women and your, you know, your position that have to deal with, you know, being a victim of this type of crime. So, you know, and then it will, you know, the next message will be like, I love smile or, you know, right. um, you know, I don't know. What sneakers are you wearing in that picture? Or um, what's your favorite food? Well, that's really. I mean, to like to to have gone through that experience and to still be open to connecting with fans is a. I mean, that's a pretty remarkable 
obstacle. Yeah, but then also the thing is, is that I mean, I've I I I actually solved the crime myself. Like the police didn't. The guy broke into my house and then um, you know came into my bedroom, but uh, he also took a handbag on the way out. But I just knew there was something odd about this interaction, um, and that it was sort of deeper than than it seemed. Uh, I just had a sort of gut instinct about it. But this guy had also been, like, sending me messages and letters and turning up at, you know, offices and my record company, and so I'd get all these reports back that there was this guy around. And, um... Uh... But he, he took a handbag when he left the flat. And, um... And so when I called the police, they made it into a into a burglary. Oh, my God. Case. So it was only because of social media and me having, you know, all of his interactions with me and having seen them and been been above all of them that I was able to pinpoint who it was and get him arrested and yeah. And how long into the how long into the interaction you said it went on for seven years. Was it apparent pretty quickly, or did at a certain point? No, no, no. Point... So, he, so he he'd basically like would send these letters and stuff, and all of that stuff like lasted for seven years. There was one time he turned he he thought that he had written a song that I wrote called "The Fear," and that was his like beef. So he would send me these letters saying, you know, like you owe me money. That's my song. Blah blah blah. Whatever. And you know, I've never met met this person, and he was obviously, you know, not right in the head. Like he'd sort of write in spirals and stuff, and it was all quite scary. But he would, he, you know, he had this sort of language. And um, and I was playing a gig once, and uh, someone put up a sign, you know, saying I wrote the fear or whatever. So I was on stage, and I knew who he was, but I also knew that nobody else in the room had any idea that I knew that... He, do you know what I mean? Yes. It's a really weird and horrible experience. But I didn't see his face. I just saw the sign. But then, you know, the police came and they arrested him. But again, I didn't see... You know, why would you see... You know, I never saw him. Um, until seven... You know, and this stuff kind of like... He would be really active with his sort of contact and then, you know, sort of drop off for six months or or a year and then he'd sort of come back again just with his like you know letters or whatever um until one night i woke up and he was in my you know there was this guy in my bedroom and um and you know he was screaming at me and um but i could i knew that there was the way that he was talking to me was like he really knew me you know like it wasn't like it was a stranger it was like he, uh, there was perp- you know, a purpose for him to be there. Uh, but it was very hard to articulate that to the police. So when I, they were like, so what happened? And I'm like, so a guy broke into my bedroom. Blah, 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 blah. And then the next day, I think it was the next day or something that I called the police back and I said, look, you know, I think there's more to this because I really just felt like he was there to do something else, you know, like... Um, and it was only because my boyfriend, you know, managed to sort of steer him out that, you know, something worse didn't happen. But, um, yeah, it was it was f- fucking bizarre. But, yeah, the, then, so when they came back, the police, the next day, to talk about the potential of this person, you know, it being sort of deeper than, you know, someone just wandering in off right. the street, um, was when I noticed that my handbag had been stolen and the air of like relief was palpable in the room it was like the police were like oh great it's a burglary case like now we can um, not put any more thought into this yeah exactly so um yeah but then like a week after that happened um so i like had you know security people came and like moved into my house i got like shipped the kids out to the countryside like i just didn't because i knew this guy was around still right and um and then I was I went to DJ at an event and I came back and the handbag was on the bonnet of my car with all of the contents burnt out and like my passport snipped into pieces. Jesus and Christ. Like all my uh, like SIM card, like uh, SD cards off my camera and stuff taken out. Like anyway, so then I called the police obviously and I was like, okay, 
this is fucking serious. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's an arson case. No. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not a burglary. He's giving it back. Um, no. <laughs> so we're good. Great. Let's wrap this up. Um, no. Then they, you know, arrested him a couple of days later. But he's, you know, he's still in jail. And But what's crazy is in the, when I, you know, I went to the court case, when they interviewed him, um, she says, uh, you know, what were you doing there? He said, I was going to put a knife through her face. And she ends the interview there. She doesn't question him anymore. Why? What? Fuck no. It's like, it's literally, she goes, okay. And that's where I'm going to end the interview. Was that just enough that they needed to keep him in jail? Or? I don't know. Well, you know, no. I mean, the thing with my like legal defensive cap on, I would say that they failed in try, in, sure. in protecting me. Absolutely. And so they were covering that tracks they didn't want him to go down the route of saying that i was there to murder her because otherwise that would implicate them in, in not having, in not to having been it. thorough and done the process yeah. i mean is it do you do you feel okay now i mean like, um yeah i mean i'm jumpy you know like i i get uh, i don't like um you know being like outside my house alone at night like you know getting out of the car and stuff like sure. i like to be I like to sort of like walk in and out of places with people. I've, I like being alone when I'm in, a, in the place. <laughs> but, right. But yeah, walking around in public, I don't really like doing it on my own. Um, and if I hear like loud noises, like I get like um, sort of triggered. Yeah. Is there, um, is there a type of therapy for that? Like EMDR or something that's good for like PTSD or? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I've done all of it. <laughs> but yeah, it's. It was it was it was a crazy experience. Did writing the book help you deal with some of it? Yeah, I mean, writing writing everything helps me deal with everything. That's literally my my form of coping is music or you know what words. So, right. Yeah. I mean it 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 seems that's the other thing about social media too. I mean, it's, it it was good that you were able to use it to help you because you had all this stuff. But then the other side is like, if you've been on it since it began it took us a long time to figure out like, oh, maybe I shouldn't t- tweet and post wh- everywhere I go. Yeah. Because you just feel like, oh, it's whatever. Who cares? And then, you know, one person kind of ruins it. And then you're like, oh, yeah, okay. I should not be... Te- I, sh- I actually... This is why people who are known they probably need to lead sort of private lives <laughs> to protect as, as a form of protection. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's a shame because I didn't used to be like that. You know, I used to be quite a sociable person. And maybe not sociable, but, like, I wasn't f- afraid of being out and about, which I, I kind of am now. Do you think it's something that you are working to overcome, or do you just sort of feel like this is, you know, like I'm comfortable now? There are so many things about that whole experience that just fucked with me. Like, first of all, it was, you know, that. Um, then the investigation was pretty messed up um they're kind of like being they're they're being gaslit you know like knowing that something has happened but everybody telling you that it's not right happening was extremely frustrating and i think almost that was more damaging than anything that he did you know he's just a mentally ill person that um you know developed a pretty unhealthy obsession but the other people that were involved like i've got i'm angry did they did anyone apologize to you no jeez no and you don't feel like it changed this system it's changed the way that they do things now or is it they said they did i mean i went public with it because um that was the other thing that was quite awkward about the whole situation is that you know every sort of intimate detail of my life like managed to find its way into the tabloid newspapers so the idea that this thing that they didn't know about it and didn't want to write about it was insane. And so I just I felt like the police and the press were like working in cahoots with each other to kind of keep it out of the the tabloids didn't want me to be portrayed as a victim and the police didn't want the trouble of having to deal with you know the neglectfulness. So it worked out for both of them to just kind of try and bury it. But yeah, so I teamed up with like a stalking charity. Um 
just to kind of get it out there. But also some crazy statistics. Like I'm going to sort of like half make one up because I can't remember it, but it was like, you know, 80% or something of women that are murdered have reported their murderers as being their stalkers. Oh my God. Which is just crazy. Like, and do you think those women ever get the credit for solving the crimes of their own murders? No. no. The police say we've solved this crime. It's like, yeah, because she fucking reported the guy to you. <laughs> like, do you, do no one talks about that stuff. You know, it's re- it's it's a huge, huge issue. And I think that that was probably another reason that the police didn't want it, you know, it to blow up and become a thing because they don't want this issue highlighted because it's massive. And do you think that? Um are people reaching out to you online and saying, you know, like I, I, I have a stalker or someone's stalking me? Like, yeah. do you, so what type of advice are you giving people having been through it, having survived it? Um, you know, just to reiterate exactly um, what's going on to people that care about you, you know, like your family or and and the police and make sure that. I mean, I always said, you know, every time that you make a report to the police, make sure that you get a copy of the report, anything that you give to them as evidence, so like letters or anything, make sure you make your own copies of it because the police destroyed all of the evidence that Mm -hmm. I'd given them over that seven years. Everything that he ever sent to me, I gave to the police and it, it it was all gone. That's insane. Yeah. So keep copies of everything and also I I would imagine trust your gut i would imagine your gut your body is designed to give you a response when something isn't right yeah and And that's exactly what happened with that situation was that you know he when he was out i was like there's more to this you know like an instinct it was in it was very very basic instinct that told me that that i was in danger and it wasn't gone you know that was the key thing did you feel any relief once he was put away or yeah i did i mean i you know i definitely felt like you know safer walking around and stuff but um you know i I care about the the bigger issue which is that this you know i'm very privileged white woman that's successful and i had money to get lawyers to be able to get justice for, for myself but there are lots of people that go through really really similar situations that don't so that became my focus is trying to you know use my experience for for good to help other people well i I think that's the best anyone can do and i think that's a phenomenal way and i'm sure it's not an easy way but it's 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 nice that you do that because it i think it's probably really hard to like you said to prove to an authority like no this is real i'm really being stalked this person oh so they showed up a couple no it's not you know well also funnily enough the other thing which was funny or not funny but um i uh, i i felt i just split up with my husband when it happened and i and i really felt like if my husband had been there and he had been communicating with the police that it would have been dealt with in a completely different way because I was I'm his property. Does that make any sense? Like, if he if he had called up and reported it as you know somebody's stalking my wife, right? They would have dealt with it very differently. To I think I'm being stalked. Um, and funnily enough, when I I went to like a dinner party like a few months later and was talking about the experience um, around the table with a bunch of people. And, um, you know, some, there were like a few women there were like, oh, you know, I had a similar experience. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, the police are useless, police are useless. Two men were like, I had a stalker. I'm reported that they couldn't have like dealt with it better. Like, you know, they were really, really helpful. And I was just like, okay, so if you're a policeman and the guy calls you up and says, there's this crazy woman stalking me, they take it seriously. <laughs> but if it's a woman that calls up and says, there's a guy following me, it's like, well, maybe you shouldn't wear so much makeup or wear a short skirt, you know, that's, that's the attitude, I think. Well, I, I hope that you continue to talk about this thing to, (laughs) well, just to, just to get, just to create awareness around it so that people, so that people know that especially it's so easy to get to people and Mm. track them now because most people just don't think about, Oh, post my location. Oh, here's where I go every day. Oh, look, I go here for lattes every day. It's like, we're basically just giving a roadmap to anyone who, has bad bad intentions but 
I think it's amazing that you wrote about it and amazing that you communicate with people to to sort through it. Yeah. Would you tell me the name of the book, please? I'm sorry that I it's, don't know. I'll do better than that. <gasps> do you have a copy for me? It's not even out until December and you can have it. Oh my gosh, Lily Allen, thank you so much. My pleasure. It's called mm. My Thoughts Exactly. This is fantastic and it comes out in December. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It's so nice of you to come and be here. Is there anything else? What are you joyful about? Like, what makes you happy? What's your happy place? Oh, um, uh, money. (laughs) 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 Seriously. Um, I'm going to buy MySpace and I'm going to run it into the ground. (laughs) What makes me really happy? Food. I like food a lot. Yeah. What is there? Is what? What's your what's your kind of favorite thing right now? Mm, pizza. You like pizza? Mm. Is there a good pizza place in Los Angeles? I don't know. I'm going to a place called Osteria Mamas. Um, yes, that tonight. is very good. So maybe there. Thank you so much for being Thank here. Thank you for having me. Uh, you know, I, like I said, every year I make a pl- I start a new playlist on my birthday, and it's named that age, right? So that I have like a musical diary of songs that I listen to with frequency for the last. 15 years oh wow you're uh, twice on this year Yay. yeah That's yeah so, great. so it's it was a real pleasure to have you on thank you thanks lily allen all right bye enjoy your pizza enjoy your burrito enjoy your pizza Sat by the river and 
T10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.